0: Hello friends, welcome back. My guest today is Justin Tosi, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Texas Tech University and author of Grandstanding, The Use and Abuse of Moral Talk. Moral grandstanding is the easiest way to signal your virtue without actually having to do anything virtuous. So given that it's so plainly transparent, why has it recently become so prevalent? Expect to learn why wishing that someone would get cancer isn't a good debating tactic, the different forms that grandstanding takes, why it is a moral problem, how hierarchies play into people's desires to grandstand, and much more. I must have had five or ten conversations or episodes to do with this very topic. Why is everyone shouting and no one is listening? Why can't we just have conversations that have got nuance or complexity in them anymore? And... This book, I think, is, is up there with the best of them in terms of breaking down what happens. But I really don't want there to have to be any more of these books. Like, it, it shouldn't be the case that we are so self-defeating as a species that we can't even talk to each other without barefaced faced lying. Um, so, yeah, th- th- it's a wonderful breakdown by Justin. The book's fantastic as well and really gives you a great overview of exactly sort of what's going on with language and communication, especially in the age of social media. But I really hope that this is like the, the the back end of needing to write these books because otherwise there is no way that we're going to make it into the 21st, the 22nd century. We might even not make it out the 21st, who knows? All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. So, to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. But for now, please give it up for Justin Tosi. Grandstanding. What is grandstanding?
1: Yeah. So, if you want just a bumper sticker description of, of the idea, moral grandstanding is the use of moral talk for self promotion. So, if you see people on your social media feeds or you just encounter people in everyday life who are, are you know, walking around talking like corporate press releases or, or sounding like politicians giving these carefully crafted statements about, you know how they've long stood on on the side of the disadvantaged and and so on, and kind of making moral talk about them and and turning it into a vanity project or, or a big show uh, where they're the main character. that's grandstanding. Why do they do it? So human beings uh, care a lot about what other people think about them. We're all impression managers. So there are really fun social science studies showing that you know if, if you tell people, um, you know, I, I'm gonna leak to the university community that, that you got this really bad score on this, uh, this, uh, in, uh implicit association test that reveals, uh, perhaps racial bias. They will do horrible things, you know, that you'd see on fear factor or whatever, sticking their hands in, in a, a bowl of, of worms and, you know, nasty stuff like that, uh, because they care a lot about what their communities think of them. They don't want to be ostracized and they all know that if people think, um, you know, that they are not very good people morally, uh, that they run the risk of, of being kind of run out of, of their friend groups or their their political groups, things like this. People are also self enhancers. Uh, so we all like to think that we are morally good uh, and morally above average, all of us. Uh, so we kind of have this impression of ourselves as, you know, I'm better than, than the average person, um, my heart is, is really in the right place. And we want other people to share that impression. So we take steps to present uh, a flattering picture of ourselves to the world. Uh, and that's why we engage in grandstanding, because it's a very easy way to show people that our heart is in, in the right place. So why not do it?
0: It seems like there's kind of two types of grandstanding there. One of them is like defensive grandstanding and the other is offensive grandstanding. Is that kind of right? Yeah. So uh, psychologists talk
1: about two different ways that people seek status. On the one hand, people sometimes seek status through prestige. So this is when people try to present some characteristic of themselves that actually deserves praise, uh, that is impressive. So um, in the non-moral realm, this is, is uh, people uh, who, you know, post flattering pictures of themselves on, on Instagram. Uh, this or, is my new uh, bench
0: press PR. This is my new, yeah, right. <laughs> fa- my, my fast car, my big house, my good looking girlfriend.
1: Yeah, yeah. So these are things that, that it's actually, you know, like that makes sense that, that people would admire these things. Uh, so people will sometimes seek status uh, in this way. They'll seek prestige status. Uh, sometimes people uh, will also seek status through dominance. So they'll present themselves as someone not or someone to be reckoned with, someone not to be messed with. Um, so they'll go after people. They'll uh, you know, try to embarrass or, or humiliate people that they don't like. Uh, and their hope, um, implicit or not, is that people will. Stay away from them. Not mess with them. Uh, think, this is not someone I want to piss off. I want to stay on this person's good side. Uh, and this is another way of, of kind of gaining respect, of, of uh, gaining the esteem of, of others through uh, being really aggressive. So you can grandstand in both of these ways. Uh, the prestige way is, is often a, a bit more defensive, as, as you put it. So sometimes people won't be setting out really uh, to impress people, but an opportunity will, will arise and they'll think, well, I don't want people to think that uh, my heart is not in the right place about this issue. So I'd better say something uh, right Or I, I don't want to be a, accused of um, remaining silent or, or something like this. And, and so doing violence or so, whatever people are, are saying now, uh, white silence is violence or, or whatever. So, so they'll do a little bit of grandstanding uh, because, hey, w- what's the harm? Uh, but then there are people who uh will, will go out and um you know go looking for a fight, look look for someone uh who's kind of like straying from the pack a little bit and making themselves vulnerable, uh, the person who uh who doesn't put their fist up at, at the restaurant uh, outdoors. that's happened in, in Washington, DC recently. Um and you know, these are the people you go after. Uh, so you can do a bit of grandstanding uh, about, you know, look, uh, I'm out here leading this group of people all making this gesture. Why aren't you doing it? Like, what's wrong with you? Um, so uh, the people doing that can can also gain a, a kind of status. And so they do. Uh, so all of this can can be grandstanding.
0: Do you think that some of the people who are choosing to play that game, choosing to play the moral grandstanding uh, armchair philosophizing side are, do you think that they will skew toward people who can't use prestige and typical forms of wealth and dominance to move up the hierarchy? So if you have someone who isn't potentially very good looking or doesn't really have that much wealth or actually isn't all that clever, but has what I call podcast, uh, podcast wits, which is that they're able to say they're able to say something which gives this the uh, representation of looking smart. Um, They might think, hang on, I can't compete in the typical, dominance hierarchy. I'm gonna change the rules of the game. You wanna play chess, I wanna play rugby, let's play rugby.
1: Yeah, so I like this a lot. You're hitting on a kind of pet theory of, of mine, which is uh, that that a lot of people who engage in grandstanding, if they actually had any anything interesting to say, like if they were actually funny, uh, or if they had something else going for them, uh, that's what they would do, right? They would just be funny, or they would just, just show their, their wealth. Uh, so they'd engage in some conspicuous consumption uh, or something like that. Uh, but, but they don't, or that, or it's just so much easier for them uh, to engage in moral grandstanding that that's you know, just a very simple, reliable path to status for them. Uh, so that's the stuff that, that they do instead. And our, our mutual friend, uh, friend Rob Henderson, has has written stuff about this. About he's, uh,
0: he's the fucking king of conspicuous consumption and this. Yeah, what, what is it so high good. status goods at the moment that he's playing around with? Uh, luxury, Yeah, luxury, luxury goods. beliefs. Luxury in beliefs. In his case. That's it um, sorry, Rob. Yeah, so he draw, <laughs> sorry, mate.
1: <laughs> so he draws the stuff uh, from Veblen, uh, who has this whole theory workout. out. So Veblen is. Um, just this academic outsider. Uh, he doesn't fit in in all the elite circles. he doesn't have all the servants. Uh, and he's kind of puzzled by uh, this world. Uh, so you know he writes this, this great book, um, The Theory of the Leisure class, all about their their kind of lame practices, just you know uh, acquiring obscure languages and engaging in, in all this pomp uh, and circumstance just to show people that they have the time and and the money. Um, so, you know, uh, what Rob points out and then we're kind of, Brandon and I are in this same vein, um, is that people do this also with their moral beliefs. Uh, so they'll, they'll claim at least, um, and very often I think they actually do have the beliefs, um, but they'll at least claim to, to have these flattering beliefs and they'll get status for it. Um, and, and, you know, so, sometimes this is because they have nothing else going for them. Sometimes it seems like this is just the precondition for being accepted into polite society. Um, so, there's stuff recently, maybe you saw this about uh, woke fishing. So, um, people claiming, you know, very disappointed, you know, women say, you know, I went on a date with, uh, with this guy and he said he was, you know, a good progressive. Um, he, had, he said all the right things, but then it turned out he wasn't super progressive. And so people are, are you know, turning this into this great conspiracy that these, these guys are all out there, um, you know, pretending to be really woke, uh, and, and they're not, uh, and I think actually a better explanation for this is just that people don't really think these words mean very much. Uh, and they're just, you know, they know if I'm in polite society, these are the things I have to claim to believe. And then, but then you get them like, you know, one or two deductions away from the thing that they claim to believe. And it's like, whoa, what? Yeah, like-
0: <laughs> I, well, I mean, like, what's the difference between woke fishing and the vast majority of people who are playing around with these brand new rules that six weeks ago were completely acceptable and today is completely unacceptable or the reverse? Like, the fact that you believe that you believe doesn't make doesn't mean that you actually fucking believe it. Like it's just that your self deception is so pervasive that the guy who's using woke fishing has weaponized your miscalculation of how you see things. I uh, I put it in I put the woke fishing thing in a newsletter recently, and um it, thankfully I think in the UK we don't have that same polarization, um at, at least not in not in quite the same way, um uh-huh. but yeah I, I think Rob had put was it Rob that had identified any guy who has moderate in their Tinder profile has to be a republican
1: <laughs> that sounds like something wrong but say. so
0: like the 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 set point basically of where people guys are expected to be now on the tinder spectrum is that because of woke fishing you need to be like super super progressive just to be centrist and like right. anything short right. of that is like a gun-toting nra hick that loves country music and drives a pickup truck like that's yeah. that's it um, but dude, I, the, the woke fishing thing's great. Have you got some, some examples for people? You mentioned this recent incident where there was a, a lady sat down at a restaurant and you've got tons and tons of examples. Let's give the listeners some concrete examples of what happens, what grandstanding can actually look like when it manifests. Yeah.
1: So let, let me run through it. In the book, we give you, uh, we give everybody this this field guide um, to things that people do when they grandstand. So to be clear, uh, it's not the case that like every time anyone does something on this list, they are grandstanding, right? It's it's rather that when people are grandstanding, these are the kinds of things that they tend to do. So just to, uh, to, to
0: interject, there, and that's the point. The point mm-hmm. is that it's a Trojan horse. It's you weaponizing a particular. person worldview point of view that other people hold truthfully but it's you doing it in a way which is um uh, metacognizantly kind of uh labored right you're doing it for <laughs> the effect rather than the fact that you are compelled and you genuinely believe it
1: yeah that's very close so a- actually we think that you can really believe the things uh and 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 in fact I mean, we can get to this this is why uh, some of this is so dangerous Uh, because if people were actually just bullshitting right then it wouldn't be so bad if they're claiming to believe these these crazy things but because they believe it then it takes on this new dimension it's not just like people jerking off in public it's it's like whoa like so (laughs) much more dangerous yeah
0: right okay so Um, the, the framework tell us yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so one of the things that people tend to do, which I'm sure everyone has seen, is that they'll engage in piling on. So they'll look for a case of someone who's violated a norm in public. Um, social media is, you know, the perfect uh, forum for for this. Uh, and they'll see people getting in their digs at this person, and they'll say, you know, either something that everyone, you know. Someone has said a hundred times already, or they'll they'll attempt some new form of abuse uh, to to mock this person, and they'll do this to show other people uh, that they are in the right on on this issue, that they uh, they're part of the crowd, that they're not you know um, cautious, you know they're not sitting on the sidelines, they agree with everyone else about how bad this person is. Um, Another thing that people will do is that they will engage in what we call ramping up. So this is when moral talk becomes a kind of arms race with people uh, looking to say the most extreme thing that the crowd will, will still uh, think of as, as morally impressive. So in, in the US, uh, I don't know if this, disc- this discourse has reached the UK, but um, you know, with, with all of these uh, protests people started uh, really hitting this point of, you know, we need to defund the police. Uh, And very quickly this became, uh, you know, we need to actually abolish the police. So within, you know, within a matter of 48 hours, this moves from like, you know, we need to take a good look at, at how we're funding these organizations, so like get rid of them entirely, and that's of course what we meant all along, right? So, so this is I think part of the dynamic that, that you were hitting on earlier of things you know moving so quickly, and it's like people haven't thought this out, um, and it's and it's because um, grandstanders have an incentive. Uh, to be really extreme, and you know, make the splashy claim that will will then become the official statement that everyone you know argues about and, and says, like, this is whoa, this guy's really you know out there or whatever. Another thing that people will do is they'll engage in trumping up, so they'll make exotic moral claims, uh, and the idea here is, um, you know, a lot of people might have overlooked this problem, but I'm really sensitive right, or I'm really knowledgeable about about justice and how morality works. So I saw this and everyone else should take notice, right? So if there's an incentive to do this, you'll get people becoming really creative and and saying things uh, that are just way out there uh, because it will impress at least some members of of their group. Uh, You'll also have people engaged in what we call excessive emotional displays. So these are the people you might be thinking of who are just always outraged Uh, About whatever the latest thing is, Um, and it's always at ten or eleven, right? Like, so they're always going to eleven because they want to be seen as like the most like sensitive people, the people who care the most about justice. Uh, And then finally, grandstanders are are really often dismissive of people who disagree with them. So they'll they'll say things like, "Look, if you don't see what's so bad about this, Chris, I don't even what I don't know what to tell you, man." Like you're just too far gone. You are too in the dark. You need to do some work on yourself, and then you know, then we can talk or whatever. But it's not my job to educate you. Educate yourself, right? So stuff like this. Uh, and the idea here is, like, I can't. I'm so good. I can't even put myself in the frame of mind of of someone like you. So I wouldn't know where to start. Uh, so you know, you can grant in other ways too. Right. Uh, any anything that is moral talk could, in principle, be grandstanding. People could be driven to say it uh, by um, a desire to impress others. Uh, but these are just some some really common things that that people tend to do.
0: I mean, that just sounds to me like a matrix breaking down the like vast majority of tweets with more than five thousand likes <laughs> that I've seen during twenty twenty. Like if it's broken 5,000 likes and it isn't Macaulay Culkin telling us that he's 40, like it's probably one of those (laughs) tweets. Um, Yeah. So is grandstanding a new phenomenon? Is it just another byproduct of social media or how, how does new technology link in with all the things that you've just said?
1: So when you asked uh, why people do it, I referred to some just common traits of human beings, that we care what other people think of us, uh, and we think well of ourselves and and want other people to share that impression. So those are not new traits. Um, Those are things that have probably been with us as as long as we have been recognizably human, working together and caring about whether we can trust one another. So the ingredients to Grandstand have, have been with us for a very long time. And we think there is in, indeed nothing new uh, about the idea uh, or really about the behavior. What is new is that it's now so much easier for people to grandstand. It's basically costless. So you just pick up your phone and you have an audience, uh, You know, depending on, on how interesting and attractive you are and, and all these things, you have an audience of, of hundreds to thousands to millions of, of people uh, who are just ready to gobble up Whatever it is that that you say uh, and moral terms, uh, moral, uh, you know, especially emotionally charged uh, moral claims that people might make online. uh, There's good social science showing these are great ways to get attention. So what social media does is that it removes so much of the cost of grandstanding because you don't have to go anywhere to do it. Uh, And it also makes it
0: uh well uh, both yeah so uh, I being, thought, i'm no, being i'm being an academic about it. Yeah, yeah i uh I, yeah I, yeah yeah i, I just sorry. wonder about the difference between the the cost and the effort there because the cost of getting grandstanding <laughs> wrong online saying the thing you thought might be different to the effort required to do it does that make sense good point yeah that's right
1: so yeah so I, I mean, uh, so I was thinking mostly of effort, yes. uh, but you're right. Uh, it also probably changes the way people grandstand. So it probably makes them more careful about it. So that's why so, they have something called the long caption that you're no doubt familiar with, Chris. No, what's the, that? The, oh, uh, maybe this is not a thing. Um, I, I thought this is So it's when... Uh, People on Instagram will post like a thirst trap picture, uh, and then they'll have a long caption about whatever social justice issue or or yeah. Well, so, so I, just so like I do that. I,
0: I am a I am an absolute. You have I'm, a long I'm, caption. Thing? I'm, I'm patient. I'm patient zero for that, but it won't be <laughs> it won't be social justice posturing. It'll be like thirst trap photo um i have a new podcast episode now live with Justin Tosi link in bio there you go um like well, we these
1: are- are, that's okay right
0: all right fine <laughs> well i mean if i'm if i'm part of the the cool kids crowd that's really all that i care about man i just don't want to feature in grandstanding 2.0
1: <laughs> yeah well so I think that goes to, to the theory that we were talking about before. I mean, so you have, you have something to offer people that's actually interesting. You have a podcast where you, where you have brilliant people on and, and talk to them about, about their books and, and whatever else um, people actually want to hear about. Uh, but if you don't have anything like that, you have nothing to promote, uh, you can further promote yourself. By, uh, by writing up some, some mealy mouth, like really carefully measured, because again, you don't want to make people mad and incur some further cost. Um, uh, so, right, so what, uh, the other thing that social media adds in is, is it just makes it so hard to avoid uh, other people's grandstanding, right? So before you could just like not go to political rallies or not go to that one coffee shop in the college town or, or whatever, but now it's like you know, somebody's mom is just like won't shut up about whatever is is in the news uh, and she wants everybody to know that you know she's long stood with uh the oppressed and, and so on and so we see grandstanding everywhere uh so that's what's new i guess is just the platform makes it so easy
0: mm, yeah it's a it's an interesting thing to think about what social media has done to people's desire for uh, people's desire to signal. Right, because everyone now essentially is their own brand. You wear a Nike t-shirt or an Adidas t-shirt or this t-shirt or that t-shirt, and immediately people are saying, okay, what does that say about you that you wore that thing? What does that say about that brand? That they are the sort of brand that is worn by that sort of a person. And the same thing happens with intellectual arguments and concepts and political affiliations and your favourite Netflix series that you talk about online. And everything now is an opportunity to self-brand. And uh, I had um, a couple of years ago, I had Robin Hanson, elephant in the brain, Mm -hmm. on uh, talking about everything is signalling. And increasingly, I just realised that Robin Hanson was always right. That it's just signaling all over the place and that's it yeah
1: yeah so it's all signaling and it's all like this is what fucking sucks so much about it is it's also uh all an opportunity to pick someone apart and like nitpick every so i mean i'm sure you 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 get this like you're, you're more active on social media than than i am which is not saying a lot but i mean you probably get i actually saw some last some just like ridiculous responses of people like um i think some guy said you needed a bra or something like that yeah that, that was yeah like- <laughs> yeah
0: i mean to be fair to be fair he was right um but you know i can't i can't abuse a guy but I think uh yeah, it's, there's there's it's a, a few a different thing. there's a few different types of moral grandstanding. The reason that I'm particularly concerned about this uh iteration of it is that when you get a uh sufficiently large minority of people speaking sufficiently loudly, they can shift the Overton window of acceptable speech in a direction that I actually think it's really difficult to bring it back from. Like it's now quite hard to have a discussion online saying well is being pro-choice actually that smart of an idea or is there a discussion to be had about being pro-life now around abortion like that if you dig into some of the especially ben shapiro's arguments around it is really really compelling but to say it is like um moral grandstanding, uh putting like lighting a flare or attaching yourself with one of those laser pointer things that the drones fire in on. Um, and that's like, the, the, so the Overton window, for people who don't know, it's um, basically a, a particular window of acceptable speech. And you can swing, you can speak within this window. But if you move too far to the conservative or too far to the progressive side outside of that window, you tend to be like ostracized by society. And they say, oh, like, what are you talking about? Like, um, Here's an interesting one, actually. I wanted to ask this. I've had it in my head for a little while. Peter Thiel, during job applications, asks people, what is a belief that you hold that most of the people think is untrue? Have you got one off the top of your head? Can you think of one that fits that?
1: Uh, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. Um, I, Not off
0: the top of my head. Got you. So do here's, you have any I'll you have give an example? You, I'll give you mine. So mine is yeah. that um, pedophiles who don't act on their urges – Requires Uh requires sympathy, not militant uh, responses. And this came after a conversation with a neuroscientist who taught me that um, we don't have control, conscious control over our sexual urges, which means that essentially people who are um, aroused by children have been cursed with this thing that they can't act on, and that if you have a society which demonizes them um, ahead of them doing any action, because what's illegal is the action, not the actual right or right because you, not can't the control, attraction. Yeah. you can't control the attraction um and as soon as i had that i was like i, I there is not there is no other reasonable solution to this other than that if anyone is listening and they're interested and go, wants to go back and listen to it uh it was the seven deadly sins episode around about 170 something like that um so that was one thing. But basically my my point there is that we're mimetic beings. And this is the reason that Peter Thiel puts it in his uh job application is he's constantly looking for people who are outliers, who are prepared to see outside of the Overton window. And by us being mimetic beings, the the beauty of that question, what is a belief that you hold that most other people think is untrue or abhorrent or weird or wrong? And you know, thinking in that sort of a way allows you to see actually that person has a very unique worldview they have that's different um but yet to get back to the over and window thing people mm-hmm. can if you have a big enough uh, majority of people they can shift the entire window of acceptable speech so that something last week which was you see this with um the way that you uh, may now have to refer to transitioning men and women online, uh, the all of the different terms to do with people who have uh, different uh, sexual orientations, to do with different gender identities, to do with this. It's like if you do it for long enough, people kind of can't remember the old thing. It's very 1984.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's all really good. Um, so... One of the things that uh, we talk about in the field guide uh, to granting is is this thing I called ramping up. Uh, And I think uh, ramping up explains why the Overton window can shift as it does. Mm. Right. Because you'll I mean, as you say, you get just a group of people who are loud enough uh, and they keep, um, you know, they circle around this extreme moral view. Um, You now, you know, once it catches on you can't say anything to them uh, that's very far from that position. So, so I mean, you can have multiple phenomena here. One is you can shift the window to be wider, right, um, because you'll have multiple groups polarizing in this way. And so, like, we we now have to talk about all of their beliefs. And I think that can be fine, right? Like some extreme views, it's actually really helpful to talk about them. Um, but you can also uh, have multiple origin windows where it's it's like, um, you know, in, in front of this one public, right, because uh, you can have a divided public. Um, it's only this thing that can be talked about in front of this other public. It's only this. Position. So you know, you said um, you can't talk about like the Ben Shapiro views on abortion with the pro-choice people. You've, you know, you also can't talk about some of the pro-choice arguments with the people who really like the Ben Shapiro stuff. So this really sucks. Uh,
0: like ships in the night passing past each other. You've got one group which is speaking about one problem, another group which is speaking about another. But again, Ben Shapiro has a a wonderful bit about this where he talks about how in the pro-choice, pro-life abortion argument, one group is talking about rape cases and incest and the other group is talking about um girls that go out and get drunk um every weekend and just use it willy-nilly it's like those aren't mapping onto each other you're talking about one thing and you're talking about another and these two groups don't even actually ever end up interacting yeah neither neither group wants to
1: talk about the other's hard case for their view and And that's a real loss
0: everything's in the middle the same goes with mm-hmm. the gun rights, right? Like it's one person's talking about, should you be able to have an AR-15 with an, a semi-automatic turning stock on the back? And the other person's saying, well, I just want someone, I, like I want to have a handgun that can protect myself in the home. Like those aren't the same. They're not talking about the same thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, and like you said earlier, if you try to to stake out some position in the middle where you actually want to talk about uh, a sensible, like nuanced view. It's like you're you're making your, you know you're putting a target on your back, right? So you're putting chum in the water like, to introduce even more metaphors for for both sides, right? And they're they're both just like I mean, if we can agree on anything, it's that this guy sucks. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's not you, but he's not us.
1: Douglas yeah, right, Douglas right.
0: Murray hit the nail on the head about this in a conversation I had with him, and he said that a subtle or nuanced view to the opposition seems like a lack of conviction about your ideology wholesale. Yeah, I think that's totally right.
1: So what, one thing that we talk about in the book is what psychologists call the black sheep effect. Uh, so the black sheep effect is this kind of strange on the face of it phenomenon uh, of people really disliking the uh, the kind of weakly committed members of their group. Um, so, the way it works is they see these people as not trustworthy, right? So they think like they don't really get the principles. So um, in the U.S., uh, I mean, I'm sure there are examples of, of this in, in, in the U.K. in U.K. politics too. Um, you know, John McCain used to be this guy who, who like, the Democrats actually kind of liked him. He's a, he was a Republican senator. The Democrats are like, this guy's okay. You know, because sometimes he votes with us. Um, but the Republicans, whenever John McCain would would defect, like this son of a bitch, like this guy, <laughs> we can't count on this guy for anything. Um, right. So he's their black sheep. So no one wants to be the black sheep of, of their group because they know then that makes them like, you know, uh, well, the black sheep, right? It makes people not like them, not trust them. Um, and so it, it. this is why it's so dangerous for people uh, to express any doubt about the strongly held beliefs of their group so they grandstand instead
0: jordan peterson in his conversation with the lady from gq that was like when they got that uh, kathy newman and they sent her away it wasn't kathy newman but it was like they'd sent kathy newman away put her on a course of steroids and research Uh for like six months and then she she came back like we've made her stronger faster bigger and uh and he does this wonderful point where he says, I shouldn't be able to guess the rest of your views when I only know one of them. And that appears to be the converse of what we're discussing here, that you need someone to take their ideology wholesale, not piecemeal. And the reason for that is that it allows the rest of the tribe to better predict their future behavior. Look, we don't need to worry about Jim. Jim's fucking sweet. It's Tom that we need to worry about because Tom (laughs) likes free markets but actually he's pro-choice or tom likes restricted yeah. gun control but actually he's a little bit more right-leaning or what do you know whatever it might be um because it's the chink in the armor
1: right yeah uh so this is this is just such a puzzle to me to like a- anyone who's like ever read philosophies it's like well hold on like your position on free markets and your position on abortion; these things should have almost nothing to do with each other, right? But in general, if you find out what someone thinks of, about the one thing, um, you pretty much you can guess pretty reliably what they think about the other thing. Um, so, how can we explain this? I mean, so it, it's it's just it seems because the ideas aren't aren't really doing the driving here. It's it's the tribalism. Uh, it's that people. You know, they might feel really strongly about the one issue and then they fall in with a group uh, who feels strongly about that issue. And then they have all these other commitments. And in order to remain like in, in the good graces of, of this group, people have to ev- evince some belief uh, in all of the other orthogonal issues that um, that are popular uh, or, or you know, that
0: people tend to take a, a particular position on within their network. And that can continue to go further and further toward the extreme and drag other people with it. And I guess this is where you get sort of silent majorities. Uh, Brett Weinstein or Eric Weinstein had a wonderful point about this where he said the problem with the left at the moment is that the moderate left is allowing the extreme left to do the work for them and not speaking up about it. Now, that is silence's compliance with the extreme people on your side. Like You can't expect people on the other side of the aisle to speak up for your point of view. That's not going to happen. But there is a gradation within your point of view, and that is where the people should be speaking up. Unless, of course, everyone's taken their point of view wholesale. Yeah. So
1: this is something that I I think is just so damaging about grandstanding, uh, is that, like I said, we need people who are dissenters within their group to be able to speak up there should be a low cost uh, to uh, asserting an unpopular belief or to challenging the orthodoxy Uh, because when there is a low cost of of doing so uh, so sorry i'm I'm again being academic so what i mean is um, when people are not (laughs) no they don't (laughs) Uh, when it's safe for people to speak up and express doubt they're more likely to do so and the result is people then get to engage with a challenge to their view. And what you emerge with hopefully uh, is uh, a, a more strongly justified belief uh, rather than just a, a comfortable orthodoxy that becomes uh, what John Stuart Mill would call a dead
0: dogma. So it's something that people believe, they forget why they believed it, uh, but they're not gonna question it. I love that, a dead dogma. Man, iron, yeah. iron sharpens iron. That's why yeah. having good conversations is, is real important. What were some of the most extreme examples of grandstanding that you found? The one where someone tweeted that a two-year-old eaten by a crocodile shouldn't deserve sympathy because she was sick of white men's entitlement seemed a bit mental.
1: Yeah, right. So this is like a kid got killed by an alligator, right? Oh, and then, like, because, like, uh, I think there had been a shooting or something recently, and people were like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, we're down on white people right now. So, like, to the credit of of the mob – like this, this was seen as finally too
0: far. Okay, right? all right. So that one was outside of the Overton window in terms of extremity.
1: Yeah, well, but within a certain group, um, probably fine. It, it was like great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, white men. I'm. Yeah, time for some of these white men to get eaten by alligators, right? No, like, the, the, the white men's two year
0: old, two year old daughters.
1: Yeah, and their children. Yeah, too.
0: Exactly. Right. What were some of the other ones? What were some of the more extreme or the extreme examples that you found?
1: Yeah, uh, so GamerGate is is always a good one for this. Um, So this was um, uh, this is still very difficult for me to explain uh, because I think this is like one of the first like nerd culture things that became sort of mainstream, and it was just like not explained very well. But this is basically like people started um, getting worked up about um, two things about both kind of cozy relationships between game publishers and game critics. Uh, so that, that like the reviews were, were just sort of like industry pieces about like why this is a great thing and you need it, but also, um, about games becoming too political. So, you know, um, games like shoehorning in representation of trans characters or like lesbian characters or or things like this. Anyway, um, a feminist media critic kind of called attention to a, a lot of like the toxic um, responses uh, from people who didn't like the politics at least uh, I, I'm gonna get emails now of people correcting me no that's not what it's about it's, it's really fine. about it doesn't ethics matter.
0: The, 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 the internet corrects
1: everyone <laughs> I know. We're, here, we're here
0: to be corrected
1: yeah I know it uh, but anyway so I mean people were sending her death threats um, just like you know oh wow like everyone's calling her a bitch online and you know, saying she needs to get raped. And, um, you know, she, so it's uh, Anita Sarkeesian. She's collected all of these like horrible uh, responses. And, you know, so ha- how do you explain this? So it's not all grandstanding, right? Some of it is, is actually just people being crazy and like psychos. But, you know, you can see why for someone in a certain community, um, the thing to do is express like, extreme disdain for this person who is a threat to their like, cherished beliefs uh, about what video games should be or something oh, like this. Um, so, so yeah, so it's like a high status move within that group to come up with like the most misogynistic thing or, or whatever to, to say to this woman. Um, and so as a result, you get these like horrible pylons, um, where, you know, someone has stepped out of line. It's time, for, you know, at least within our group to, to correct them.
0: Wasn't the, um, wasn't it like the lawyer from a big TV company had tweeted after the Las Vegas shooting, saying that um, 847 people have been injured, 120 people have been killed, but most people that listen to country music are gun-toting Republican hicks, so I don't really care.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. So this is another one that finally went too far, I think. But (laughs) but yeah, there were still people – it was a viral treat. People liked this, right, because it was like – Like, I mean, okay, finally, someone willing to say uh, what the rest of us are thinking. (laughs) This group is so bad and they want everyone to have guns anyway. They should get killed by by the guns. Um, So, yeah, this is this is like moral talk run amok. Right. So the thing that we point out, uh, the reason we talk about these crazy examples is that we think people have this this kind of naive view that whenever someone is talking about justice or whenever someone someone is talking about like what people deserve uh, anything that that sounds like social justice or, or forget you know it's not like it's a right left issue anything that sounds like it's about morality people think like oh well this person like their heart is in the right place like even if they're wrong they're trying to like say something important here And it's not always that way, right? So people can actually, you can give a moral evaluation of the way people use moral talk. And this is what we're doing when we talk about grandstanding. We're saying like, look, you can actually think critically about the way people are using this practice, right? And it's easiest to see when it's someone going off the deep end and talking about how kids should get killed and and things like that. But it can also happen um, just with everyday ordinary speech uh, when people Uh, are using it to look good rather uh, than to do good. And that's what they're doing with their grandstanding.
0: Is grandstanding a moral problem
1: then? It is,
0: yeah. So
1: um, we give arguments from every major moral theory. So we point out uh, that grandstanding has bad consequences. Some people think morality is all about the consequences of actions. And if that's your view, uh, you should be really worried about the polarization that we've talked about uh, with grandstanding about people becoming really cynical uh, about morality and people just, uh, you know, feeling outrage exhaustion. Like, Oh God, I just can't, you know, I, everything's outrageous all the time. I can't do it anymore. I can't tell what like is actually outrageous. And so it all stops working. Uh, there are also arguments that we give about respect. Uh, so we say, for instance, that uh, one of the things people do when they grandstand again is to, like pick a target right and use that person as like a display model or it's like no one's, you know, no one needs this thing we can just beat the hell out of it just to show everyone, you know, a demonstration of our, our moral credentials. Um, and, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. Right? But of course, it does matter. You're not supposed to treat people that way. Uh, and even if they deserve it, right, even if they've done something bad, like first of all, you're probably going to go too far. Mob, mobs are not known for their restraint. Um, and you're also just going to be on the lookout for opportunities to beat people up like this, so to use people as an opportunity to showcase how good you are. Uh, and then finally, we give some arguments uh, about moral virtue. Um, My favorite of of these is uh, we draw on this, uh, this philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. uh, Some of your listeners may be familiar with it. And we say, look, um, people like a challenge. Right. Uh, So Nietzsche says we all have something he calls the will to power. So we all hate. Obstacles in a way, right? Because they're in the way of, of us getting what we want. But we also need them uh, because we need that satisfaction that we get from overcoming uh, an obstacle of, of beating a challenge. So, you know, we all have opportunities to do this um, in all areas of our life. We can actually do something that's a real achievement. Um, we can you know do really well at work. Uh, we can hit, hit a new personal record in, in the gym, um, whatever else. Uh, we can also uh, kind of make up a challenge that's that's just sort of um, you know invented for the purpose of us achieving something. and this is uh, a sort of like a cheat. Uh, and this is what people do with grandstanding, we think We, we think they, uh, they act as if it's an achievement. Uh, To say something morally charged uh, that shows what a good person they are. But of course, this isn't a real achievement. Uh, It's actually just an abuse of morality. So morality is supposed to be about helping other people about being kind to them about uh, resolving important social problems. But what grandstanders do is they turn morality into just an opportunity to show other people how good they are. And, and you know, what an achievement for, for me to have such pure moral beliefs. Uh, but this is an empty achievement. Uh, and it's actually kind of pathetic if you think about it that way. Oh, man, this,
0: we- <laughs> this weaponizing of mm. the something which at its core should be really, really virtuous Um is is really worrying, and we're seeing it a lot at the moment. Moving into an area that I know sweet fuck all about, why is grandstanding a particular problem in politics? Because mm. I can talk about the uh, way that someone perhaps should uh, maximize their own agency in life and, and use their sovereign will to become the things that they can be. Um, I just I haven't started to draw that perspective out to kind of the collective. Uh, And I found it really interesting that you guys did discuss how grandstanding acts as a problem in politics.
1: Sure. So um, politics is heavily moralized now. Everyone wants to see that their politicians have good character. This isn't really new, again, but now I think it's, it's probably even more... Common because people uh, like to feel like they have this personal relationship with their politicians probably because of, of social media. So politicians have this strong incentive to show people how good they are. Now that might be good, right? It might, it, it's good for people to be informed. Uh, it's good for people to know what they're getting when uh, they, they vote for someone. Uh, but again, just because someone says something doesn't mean that it actually is good information, right? Uh, Or uh, that it sets up good incentives for them uh, to actually do their job once they're in office. So a couple of problems that come up here. One is that in democracies, we have kind of split representation of viewpoints in government. We need our representatives to be able to work together and compromise to give up, you know, something that's kind of on the periphery of of what we care about in order to achieve a solution to the the really big problem. So we need them to to have a little bit of leeway, a little bit of flexibility. But once politicians start taking strong moral stances because they're incentivized to do so, they lose some of this, this flexibility. They, uh, are expected then, uh, not to give an inch. And because of this, They can't then work together and give up a little to get a lot, right? So instead, you know, we see this, especially in the States right now, uh, where at least our last couple of presidents have governed by executive order, uh, because it's such a popular position among legislators to say, you know, I'm not working with those people. They're corrupt. And if you do, it's again, chum in the water, right? Because you're the black sheep. Everybody sees you're not reliable, you seem uh, not principled because you're willing to to compromise uh, and so this is this is really dangerous, right So it makes democracy really dysfunctional. The other thing that that happens so much in politics uh, is that if you turn like political action into a morality pageant, um, you create incentives for, for politicians to look like um, they're doing something really morally good that people can see immediately their heart is in the right place. Uh, even if it turns out for, you know, com- you know complicated, like nerdy reasons, uh, it doesn't work. Right. So uh, effectively, then politicians start to uh, propose what we call expressive policies. So these are policies that on the face of it sound really good. They make it clear Uh, Well, at least if if the person's sincere, that the person proposing the policy, their heart is in the right place. They care a lot about the issue, uh, but they don't actually work. So all all they end up doing is being a symbolic gesture. So a good example of this is rent control. Every economist recognizes rent control does not work. It does not actually. What is rent control? Rent control is uh, setting a limit on how much landlords can can raise uh, the price of, of rent, uh, basically on, on uh, putting a ceiling on what people end up paying for rent. So, I mean, what could be bad about that, right? It's, it sounds great. Like, you look at your lease, you're like, I wish that number was lower, uh, and rent control promises to give you that very thing. But the problem is when, and you see this over and over again in cities that have imposed rent control, the result is a shortage in affordable housing, which is, you know, exactly the, uh, the opposite of what we're supposed to get, uh, but for, compli- you know, complicated reasons, at least, you know, uh, sort of complicated reasons, um, landlords, you know, then see rent, uh, see, you know, um, uh, you know, ha- housing developments and and investing and, in, in, you know, making places, you know, good to, places to live, uh, they see this as not a good investment. Right, because the return is limited by the rent control policy. So at least in the long term, what you get is no more new housing, crumbling old housing, uh, and people rushing to fill, you know, the the affordable spaces. So you get somewhere like New York City, where people have lived there for like eighty years or, or something, or are lying about, you know, still living there when it's their great aunt or something that is is on the lease and it's just like gifted it to them. Um, you get people like this having their, you know, three hundred dollar a month apartment uh, subsidized by people who have just moved there, and paying like you know three thousand dollars a month or, or whatever. Um, so. Back to politics. I mean, the incentive for politicians is not to like go through all of this because it's really boring, right? <laughs> for most people who just want to pay lower rent. The incentive is for them to, to make people feel like finally someone is addressing my needs. They're doing something about uh, something I, I need addressed. Uh, and so you get these policies that sound good and don't work.
0: I identified a problem with Sargon of Akkad a few weeks ago about. Joe Biden's response, where he flip-flopped from saying that the travel ban from China at the beginning of COVID was xenophobic and racist and some other words, and then two and a half months later said that Trump had done it too late. This, to me, this entire situation, and that as a particularly simple example, is so worrying because politicians should be the best of us they should be the most virtuous, the most truthful, with the most transparency. They should be held to the highest levels of rigor. They should be the most precise with their speech. Everything should be fact-checked. Everything should be right. Well, that that doesn't follow on from the thing that you said before. Whereas when things are simply said for effect right now, there is I, I can't trust what comes out of people's mouths. And unfortunately, as you identified with social media, the people at the top of the tree are examples for those further down it. And if uh, in an increasingly politicized society at the moment, people are taking that to be, well, Joe Biden, presidential candidate, Democratic nominee, if he's able to flip-flop around his sort of points of view, then why can't I weaponize my points of view? And I... I don't want to live in a world where people lie. Ideally, I'd have everyone read take the red pill online and read Sam Harris's book and never lie. At least I'd know where I fucking stand. But in this situation, it seems like as long as the as long as the recourse isn't greater, it's like a mathematical equation. If recourse isn't greater than moral outcome, and there's an if function of like is not, um too conservative then okay to get away with like you know it's like a, a weird sort of gated piece of computer code uh, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want i don't want the politicians to be able to say stuff and and not be not be called out for it man at all yeah i mean that's right uh so we, we do want to hold people
1: to account the worry is um that the incentive is not good for them when they're held to immediate account. So here's something no one wants to hear when they're upset about something. We don't have all the information yet. We need need to look into this and then, you know, do some investigating, figure out what actually happened, uh, and then we'll figure out what to do. Um, Because if you say that, the people who are like screaming for blood immediately, like they they want a solution right now, uh, will be really mad, right? So... You know, we see this problem with politicians as primarily one about incentives. So we get what we ask for from politicians in in a democracy. So if if what we want uh, is just to be comforted, uh, to to be reassured that the people in in power are are good, um, we'll get these these irresponsible moral proclamations uh, rather than people being willing to to take a little heat um, and and. Take their time and do their job right uh, in in ways that we won't immediately recognize uh, as as them doing their job right
0: how do we fix this big problem lots of layers to it there's political implications there's personal implications i'm really really concerned about self-deception wildly concerned about self-deception because i think that that restricts uh, an individual's sovereign agency over themselves Mm -hmm. um which is really really pernicious so what do we what do we do Can you, can you fix it for us? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: can't, right? I can tell you how to, how to help fix it. Um, so, uh, the most tempting thing to do here, probably for most people is you want to pick up this book grandstanding uh, and figure out how to find these grandstanders and go after them and humiliate them, make them stop it. Um, call them out. But that is exactly the thing that you should not do. Why? Uh, Uh, so for one thing, it won't work. Uh, it will just be turned right around on you. People will say, well, actually, you're grandstanding. First of all, because people will think any any use of moral terms at all now is, is grandstanding, which is, is not good. Uh, and that is not our view, by the way. Um, but also because they want to defend the person in, in their tribe, right, or the, the person they agree with, and they don't want to be called grandstanders themselves. Uh, another reason not to do this is you're giving the grandstander exactly what they want. They want Public discourse to be about how good they are. So if you start calling them out for grandstanding, they're like, oh, that's very interesting. Let's talk about whether I'm a good person. That's you
0: know, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a great thing for us to, yeah, to okay. be
1: arguing about, right? So so that's no good. Um, so what we say instead is, uh, you should treat this problem uh, as an opportunity to examine your own behavior. So what you should do about other other people you think you think they're grandstanding is just ignore them. Right. Uh, Because ignoring someone you think is grandstanding is is probably no worse than than just like not being on social media at all, which is not bad. Um, But what you can do is when you're about to contribute to some political discussion, ask yourself, uh, am I trying to do good here or am I just trying to look good? So to give a, a slightly more fine grained test you can run, you can say, "Okay, let me imagine I say this thing. I type out this like you know three thousand word post or or whatever, uh, and then suppose I learn you know a day later nobody really cared about me at all. They didn't think anything uh, better uh, of me because of, of this. Uh, I failed to like impress them. Would I be disappointed, or or would I instead be comforted like well you know at least someone saw something important morally, right? Because if you would be disappointed that you didn't get anything for yourself you were probably grandstanding. You were motivated to say that thing because you wanted recognition. Uh, and that's precisely the thing that, that you should avoid doing. Um, so, uh, in other words, you, know, you should take this book as an opportunity to, to examine your own
0: behavior. Uh, and if you don't like what you see, maybe sit one out, right? Uh, Self-policing, mm-hmm. when there are so many group incentives, to go along with the group, I mean, the solution is to sell 7.9 billion copies of Grandstanding, which I'm sure that you would be fantastic. I think that sounds ideal, <laughs> Chris. Well, yeah, I know everyone. Everyone wins. <laughs> Use the affiliate link in the in the show notes below, please, because I can retire along with you. We can just C- Cayman Islands, just grandstanding to fuck on the top of the the new plane that we bought. Um, Hell yeah! But like. That's, that's a good way for the people that are listening who are reasonable, intelligent human beings that want to try and make themselves and discourse better. Um, but that doesn't actually get at the groupthink problem that we've got going on here. Are you hoping that simply by not giving them our attention that they're going to stop doing it? That seems a little short-sighted.
1: Well, uh, I am taking the long view here. So it, it probably looks short-sighted. Um, but here, here's what I think. Um, so imagine you did that, right? Imagine you, like you wrote out, uh, a, a big, put- look, to be honest with you, I've, I've done this, I've like, I've engaged in grandstanding. It's just a human thing. Uh, it does not feel good when you like take a stab at it and you get no attention at all. Right? So the thinking here is that if enough of us start to ignore, uh, this attention seeking behavior, it will come to be seen as embarrassing. So an example that we we give in the book is think of, um, or rather look into, uh, because people generally don't know about this, um, look at medieval uh, dining etiquette guides. So there are actually books in in the Middle Ages uh, about how to behave at the table, and it's things like don't blow your nose in the tablecloth. Don't pick up a bone off the serving dish and like gnaw on it, and then put it back on every you know the food everybody else is going to eat. It's stuff that's like, what the fuck? Like, what were these people doing? Why did they have to be told any of this in a book? By the way, that like only educated people are going to read. So it's like unthinkable uh, that any of this was ever normal behavior, but apparently it was. Um, so the the hope is like, as crazy as it sounded then. Like, to get people to, like, stop blowing their nose in the tablecloth. Maybe maybe that's the position we're in now with grandstanding. Like, the norms just haven't yet caught up to the social conditions, and they can. So people people will come to see it as, like, really gauche uh, to engage in, in moral grandstanding, right? It'll, it'll be seen as shameful, you know, the sort of thing where, like, you see, you know your your partner doing it at, at uh, a dinner party or something. Like, okay, we need we need to go home. Like, you've had enough, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> enough wine, Absolutely.
0: Justin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So we, you know, it's not very really satisfying, but what we need is for these good norms to emerge. And I, uh, in the long run, at
0: least, I'm hopeful.
1: Uh, it, so if grandstanding doesn't destroy the world first, I think we we will get there.
0: So here's here's a, a little conception that I was playing around with recently. I think that the people who are the funniest critics and have created the framework that grandstanders go through, I'm thinking the James Lindsay's of this world, the Douglas Murrays, the Andrew Doyles of this world, they have weaponized ridicule and insight to counteract this. Now, it's all well and good us, Um, saying right I'm just gonna you know you want my fucking attention mate I'm not giving it to you we can chill out what you need to do is also have a. that is the how would you say that is the guy who is getting shot with paintballs and has a full metal suit on and just doesn't engage in the game But what you also need are a couple of nuclear warheads who can go in (laughs) and completely decimate the battlefield and make it so toxic for anyone to go into that area again. Perfect example of this, think of the word woke. Uh huh. Uh -huh. The word woke now has been flipped on its head the same way as the N-word got flipped in reverse. Woke has been flipped on its head again right progressive now is almost a term of uh, like a an insult to call someone yeah. a progressive like it's kind of it brings up these w- which is stupid right because people have right. tons of progressive views about all sorts of things
1: and it'll flip back eventually too well
0: that's it. uh yeah. was it go- <laughs> was it Goethe that says about we vacillate between different extremes. No, it wasn't. It was someone else with a weird name, some of the sort of Germany philosopher, saying that we vacillate between extremes of society and then we kind of end up falling into the middle. I can't remember who it was. Um, but yeah, people like Douglas Murray, people like Andrew Doyle with his Titania McGrath account and his Jarvis DuPont account and blah, 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 blah. And particularly people like James Lindsay, I think, past guest on this show, wonderful dude, who has the playbook of what's going to happen because when he can show you that he knows what that person's going to do say think next before they do say or think it you and actually he knows go their view better than they do themselves holy often. shit <laughs> this guy <Huh. laughs> this guy isn't playing in matrix he's playing in source code He's playing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like he's got yeah, yeah. the he's got the CSS terminal up, and he's right. bootstrapped himself into what's going on. Um, here's another thing as well that I thought when reading Grandstanding that I thought was really interesting. I don't think that everybody should be allowed to express an opinion on the internet. I think that previously, <laughs> I, yeah.
1: I think that there needs of, to be at, le- at the very least like an over seventy internet. I
0: don't know. <laughs> I think I just think that. The world, previously, in order to be able to publish your work online and have lots and lots of people see it, you had to have justification for that to happen. There shouldn't be a reason that any Karen or Keith can say a thing which is sufficiently X, pick your reason that clout occurs, sufficiently outrageous or insulting or racist or homophobic or progressive or conservative or whatever it might be, and it be seen by a couple of hundred thousand or a couple of million people. That is not the way the human brain is not designed to confu- consume the entire world's news instantly. It's, sim- right. it's too much information, both incoming to the people that have to see what Karen Keith just wrote, and it's um, too little friction for people to be able to get their thoughts out. People are too detached from the words that they write and the effect that they have, which leads them to be able to say stuff that they wouldn't usually. Like the number yeah. of times that- Yeah, the, the, exactly. ul- the ultimate answer to most things, most insults is, would you say that to my face? <laughs> like, of course you wouldn't. And then look at the the particular instance that we saw with the lady that was sat down in that restaurant last week in America. Like- would you Actually, say? They did say it. To her face. Would you say it to my face? <laughs> yes, but only if you've got 150 friends with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Who are
0: also saying it. You know, yeah. Uh, so all of this stuff compiled together, and the desire for status, and this increasing sense of sort of melancholy and loneliness that people have, this lack of grand um, connection to the uh, the natural world, which gives us a sense of perspective about how little and insignificant we are, and a meritocracy, which inevitably means that if the winners are virtuous and justified with their successes, that the people who don't have successes are losers, and they. Matt, it doesn't surprise me that this has happened. It makes sense that we've got ourselves to this stage. But as you say, being morally outspoken is not in itself an achievement. And that's the that's the fucking synopsis to this book. Being morally outspoken is not in itself an achievement. So stop saying that it is. Stop thinking that it is. That's right, man.
1: Let me say one thing about about the uh, Titania McGraths of, of the world and, and James Lindsay. So, I mean... I, Look, my view is that like per, this. Actually, might be my my most unpopular belief, but like absolutely anything can be funny uh, if if uh, the person is like talented enough. <laughs> so uh, so I'm a big fan of this podcast Come Town, which I think is like you know exemplifies this <laughs> this mo of like absolutely anything can be funny if if you're funny enough. So there are people who are actually really good uh, at. At going after uh, and shaming grandstanders, and look, yeah, you know, norms are really complicated. Uh, I don't have like a full view about how they develop. You probably do need some people uh, who who are enforcers. Um, but for every, so here, here's what I'll say about this though: um, that behavior is often emulated by people who are not very good at it. So for every like actually funny Titania McGrath post, if you look at the replies, it's full of like. Devastatingly unfunny, <laughs> like cringy replies of people who think they're doing it too, and they suck at it. So it's it's like it's okay, right? You know, I mean, so this is like people people like moral rules to be like one size fits all. You know, they they want to be like, well. Why is it okay for them, but I can't do it? It's like because you're not fucking funny, man. Like <laughs> so, so I, I think it is still probably like good general advice. Uh, and, you know, even if people were good at it, we don't want people doing that all the time. Like, as you also need people who are like polite and, um, you know, good at building yeah, bridges society.
0: If like everyone that. was Andrew Doyle, man, Jesus. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And and then it probably actually wouldn't even be funny because you know, the shtick would get worn out like so quickly. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, but I do, I do, I do still think like, it's just not a good general turn for us to start like all policing each other, um, at least a, about things uh, things like grandstanding. Um, so moral criticism really important, um, even fitting even when it's it's like done badly sometimes. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, the general the general response uh, to this problem should be humility uh, rather than than going after other people as fun as it might be.
0: I couldn't agree more. The self-deception yeah. thing—I just want to finish on that because, yeah, I think it's really, really, really important. And again, like it's the most—it's the scariest part of all of this for me. Um, yeah, and upon realizing all of the different layers that our evolution has left in us that means that we really, really are significantly unconscious about why we do so many of the things that we do with regards to reciprocal altruism or why we're attracted or disattracted to our partner and blah, 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 blah. Like the murky waters of stepping into your own programming and choosing your wants and desires carefully is made worse when you allow people to weaponize morality and you start to go along with it. Like Our job should be be to try and see our desires and the way that we operate as transparently as possible, as far as I'm concerned. You want to live a a life which is very consciously designed because there's a ton of stuff which you really, really don't want. And if you're not careful, you'll end up in a place not only that you didn't mean to get to, but you don't want to be. And yet, if you are too uh, at the mercy of groupthink, and this kind of moral grandstanding, you make the waters murkier rather than clearer. That's my my thought. What were you going to say? Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I I tend to agree with you. So I find a lot of um, like the evolutionary psychology stuff kind of unsettling for the same reasons. Like like I you know nobody likes to especially to be told um, you know you think you're in the driver's seat here. But like, actually, there—it's like your lizard brain, you know. It's like <laughs> these deep-seated impulses that you're completely unaware of. Um, I think. So I think. Uh, I guess I agree with you that uh, up to a point, it's it's good to like be in control and actually aware of, of what you're doing, and uh, it's an important part of like being an autonomous human being. Uh, but there are also like things about us, like there's a reason we are this way, right? So. It is an adaptive trait still for for us to engage in a little bit of Um, Mm self-deception. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, reiterating it, like, it is, I think, good to be in control of your life and not just a complete slave to, to your impulses and, and things that are, are beneath your, your subconscious. Um, but it's also an impossible goal to chase complete uh, complete Absolutely. awareness and control. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I didn't think you... Uh, no,
0: I, you I agree. Disagree. I think that's I think that's actually a really good point that I haven't considered. And I think it's partly because I'm swimming in Eve's psych at the moment. So I'm like, just, I don't have... I have such little faith in my own constitution, um, because of it. Uh, but you are right; it is an adaptive trait. And having faith that the wisdom of whatever a couple ten thousand generations or whatever of uh, of humans, or a thousand generations, you know, ten thousand ten thousand generations of uh, of humans, two hundred and fifty thousand is ish, roundabout, right? Um, yeah. Um. The, the, some of the stuff despite the fact we're in a new environment and all the rest of it like there's some things that are still going to be effective so actually i, I really i really like that man that's a good uh that's a, a a good little sort of reversal to to the things that i've been thinking about recently dude it's been yeah. this been it's been really really fun uh with yeah the, man the book grandstanding will be linked in the show notes below any other stuff that you want to drive people to any other places on the internet that they should go to check out your stuff
1: uh, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, or, or my author Brandon Warmke. Uh, we're easy to find, uh, we will, we'll post our, our op-eds and other public things there if, if you want to follow our work. Uh, so we're still working on grandstanding stuff. We're doing uh, a lot of empirical work now testing, uh, some of the, the speculative, but well founded, of course, claims that that we make in the book. And, you know, so far we're just right about everything. Uh, oh, so I lo- don't you <laughs> love it when that happens? Dude, it's great. Yeah, it's so satisfying. Philosophers, we mostly just just like make things up and make it untestable. But like for this project, Brandon and I are like, no, let's let's like engage with reality and like put ourselves out there. And like it's working so far. So I hope I it like keeps
0: it. on working, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you.